Well, because of that, and I thought they might go a little longer, I, um, at this point in Exodus, we're at Passover. And I didn't want to just kind of breeze through that really fast if I had 15 or two. So I made this message a little shorter because of that. And because of that, I'm going to call today prepping for Passover. Because Passover is one of the key parts of not only this narrative in Exodus that we've been journeying through, but also in the story of Scripture as a whole. Like, it's, it's so vitally important. But before we look at Exodus 11, which is where we're going to be, I'm going to remind us of where we've been a little bit leading up to this. Uh, last week, we talked about... Slide. It's okay. It's okay. Um, last week... Well, actually, let's go back a little bit further than that. We know the Israelites have been in slavery to an oppressive empire, an oppressive government for 400-ish around years. We know that the people of Israel cried out to God, said, God, why am I in this situation? I mean, Jen, I know you can understand what that feels like. God, what's going on? Why are we here? I think we all probably have those situations in our life somewhere even as a community, and we look around at the culture and different things, God, why? What's going on? Well, they cried out to God, and God finally says, enough. You, we're taking you to, I'm taking you to freedom. And so as the freedom process, for the freedom process, what we talked about last week was we started going through uh, the different plagues, uh, went through nine of them, where God is over time showing, as my title of last week's sermon was, A Greater Might, that even though Pharaoh is a, especially from a human standpoint, a very formidable foe, the power of the day, the empire that, if we think about the empires that rule today, the gods, the idols that rule today, most of us would think, I don't see those falling, right? Does anyone see the sex industry just falling apart tomorrow or you know, greed and money, the lust for those things just falling apart tomorrow. I don't, I don't think that we see that. Imagine you're an, you're an Israelite and you've been in Egypt and you're in, I mentioned last week, your kids grew up in Egypt and the grandkids grew up in Egypt. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're going to grow up your great grandfather and going, going, going back. This has been something that's been institutionalized for years. And to think really there could be freedom, was difficult for the Israelites to grasp. So much so, as I mentioned last week, I think they had this like slavery-type mindset where knowing that even though there was this path to freedom, that many of them were happy because, I mean, they barely, they didn't get much, you know, force, much pushback, and the Israelites are already like, oh, no, we're, no, we're not going to do this, Moses, you screwed up. That, that they have such a, a, a slavery-type mindset that at the first pushback, they're saying, no, if it's going to be a challenge, I'd rather stay in bondage. Which is a great question for us all, for us as community, for us as individuals. If God is bringing us to a new place or to a place of freedom, I'll just reiterate that it's so easy for us to go, no, that's hard, I'd rather just stay bound. Right? Am I the only one that feels like that, that's ever felt like that? Like, like yeah, okay, I'd, it's change, it's hard. And to know that the path to freedom was going to lead through a desert, it was going to lead through wilderness, was going to lead to taking other uh, nations and tribes, displacing them so that you could be in that land of promise, that's a tough job. I'd rather, you know, even though Egypt is bad, maybe it's not that bad, right? I don't, I don't want to have to go through that. So that's kind of 
where we've been, and then we saw through the nine plagues, as I mentioned, God definitively showing. Even before the plagues, even before the plagues, when Aaron throws down his rod and the, the magicians throw down their rod, what happens? Aaron's rod eats theirs. Like every step of the way, God says, I'm greater, I'm more powerful, I'm more powerful, I'm more powerful. And he shows over and over that he's more powerful than all the gods of Egypt. That there is a greater might, and it's his might, and his might can take down empires. That's something that I wanted, I probably didn't emphasize enough last week. Sometimes we just need to have a talk go, let's believe God. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's easy to get down and discourage, especially when we see a lot of bad things happening around us. But go, no, God has power and God can do these things. Our job is to submit to what he wants to do and follow through. Even, and so many of us, like Moses, probably God wrestles with. And Moses, I don't know, God, I don't want to do this, no. But eventually tap out and go, okay, what do you want to do, God? People need to be in freedom, right? Moses goes out of Egypt, goes back into slavery to set a people free as well. Have you thought about that? Like, he was free. But he chose to surrender to what God wanted to do, and it wasn't about Moses. Obviously, it wasn't about Moses. It was about God and setting others free. And so he went back into a place of slavery because God was going to use him to bring others and set others free. Love it. That's big-time stuff. So God's power greater than Pharaoh's power. Amazing. All right. Go to the next slide. Two things I want to also mention before we look at Exodus 11. And that is, as we prepare for Passover, we have to recognize how, as I mentioned earlier, vitally important this is in the whole story of God. (laughs) Like, Jesus, God's firstborn son, God's Messiah, comes to the earth, initiates his kingdom, does all these incredible things, and then at this exact moment in time, God says, this is when the death and the resurrection and new creation begins to be birthed. When? During Passover. We can't pass over that, right? Oof. That was a bad one. That was a bad one. Yeah, hey, Donna, thanks. I got a ha, a one ha. Yeah, okay, one second. But we can't. We can't pass over this reality that God chose this moment in time. We have to look back and we got to hear the, the refrains from earlier all the way back in, in Exodus when Jesus is breaking the bread. I mean, Jesus chooses his last supper, his, this big moment of teaching his disciples saying, what would you do if you were about to die and you knew it in this important time of sitting down with friends and family and sharing your heart out, especially when you've been on mission for God for this number of years and he chooses the Passover meal, even says, he says, I eagerly anticipate, I can't wait to take this with you right? Jesus was looking forward to this moment of having the Passover meal, which again, I don't know if I'll give any thoughts or answers much today, but I want us to noodle on thinking, well, why did God pick this time? What is God sharing? What is God revealing about himself? I mean, we take the Lord's Supper every week, and what we're doing is we're, this is a what Jesus instituted as he took Passover with his disciples. And again, we're going to get there next week, but I think these are hugely important pieces and sometimes pieces that are just kind of brushed over and we don't consider the depth of these refrains that have been played all the way back in Exodus, which again is why 
I will say, I think I mentioned several weeks ago, sometimes there's a notion of the Old Testament. Why do we need the Old Testament? What's the point of it? I have Jesus, and he's the image of the invisible God, and all these things, and he shows me the exact, you know, foot of the, uh, the exact reflection of who God is. He's the stamp. He's a seal. I see who God is. But I would say if we don't understand things like Exodus, then we're going to misinterpret what he's doing and who he is. We're going we're to miss the subtle and not so subtle things that Jesus himself is doing that's pointing back to all these great things that God has done. So that's super important. And then finally, next slide, as we prepare for Passover, I'm going to use an analogy of the symphony again. I just figure I might as well just keep using it, right? And when we get to Passover, oftentimes the instrument that's been turned up really loud is the instrument of Jesus being a sacrifice for our sins. He's the Passover lamb. We post, we paint, you know, the blood on the doorpost. All this stuff is very important and, and it's, it's big. I'm not downplaying this. But you know, right, like he passes over us and you cover him in your blood and hit, cover yourself in his blood. We've all heard that. That's one of the predominant things that preachers these days will preach on if they want to bring up Passover or maybe during the Lord's Supper, we'll say something like that. Again, not downplaying it. But I would liken it to us going to a symphony and picking our favorite instrument. What do you all like? What's your favorite here? Cha. <laughs> Trombone. All right. French horn. I like it. I'll, uh, I'll use Ethan for cello since he said it so fast and he's so good to go. <laughs> Let's just say we sat down to listen to this and we were able to adjust the settings of the music. And we said, I love the cello. So we cranked that sucker up to 11, right? Like it's just, it's pumping. And we're listening to the cello and it's just, man, we can hear it and it's beautiful and it is a key part to this whole symphony. But what happens is, is when we turn the cello up to 11, it drowns out all the other beautiful parts of this whole piece, right? We might not hear the French horn. We might not hear the trombone. We might not hear the flute. We might not hear the violins. And I think for a number of years, we've cranked up the atonement and that part of Passover, and we're missing all these other pieces that are being played, and we just need to turn the other stuff up a little bit more or turn it down or whatever we want to say it. It's hard to say turn down important pieces like that, but turn those down so we can go, whoa, there's a lot more to this Exodus story than Jesus died for my sins and I can be forgiven, though that's incredible, right? The cello's awesome. I'm not downplaying that, but that's, that's another piece that's super important. And we'll hit on some of that today in Exodus chapter 11. So let's dive in real quick. Um, verse one in Exodus 11, you can go to the next slide. I will say, leading up to this, after the ninth plague, Pharaoh finally goes, you can go, just leave your, the herds, like, and you're fine. Why does Pharaoh say this? Because Pharaoh knows if they go, man, woman, child, all their livestock, they ain't coming back. <laughs> and Moses says, no, we have to go worship the Lord. We've got a sacrifice. Pharaoh ends going, basic, he basically says, if I ever see you again, you will die. Like, he's fr very frustrated. This is, this is where uh, the story kind of leaves, doesn't kind of, it leaves off. In verse 11, it says, after Pharaoh says, if you come in, in to see my face again, you will die. Then the Lord says to Moses, 
I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. That's nice to know, right? Because <laughs> Moses is probably going, God, how many of these are we going to do? What's going on? When he lets you go, he will drive you away. Like, he is going to distinctly say, you've got to go, all right? God is going to have a decisive victory over the empire, over Egypt. It's not going to be a maybe possible, it's decisive. So what is the instruction that God has for them? Tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor and every woman is to ask her neighbor for objects of silver and gold. Next slide, please. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, Moses himself was a man of great importance in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's officials and the sight of the people. So God said he was going to do this already. God already said, he's already told Moses back in the day when this first started that not only will I show myself stronger, not only will you have freedom when you leave this place of bondage, but you're going to plunder the Egyptians. As I said, this will be such a decisive victory that the Egyptians will, and we're going to see here, gladly give you those things. Could you imagine being an Egyptian? <laughs> Plague. I mean, the stinking gnats and the pestilence and the, and the darkness and the hail. Wouldn't you be like, just get out of here? Like, do you want gold? Absolutely. You can take whatever you want. Just get out. And it says that in verse 3 that God gave the people favor in the sight. God did exactly what he said he would do which I believe is so incredible because, next slide, please. This is painful to look at because it's upside down. I did that on purpose. Because what God does here is he flips the whole thing up on its end where the Israelites had spent all this time serving the Egyptians. We see what God's power does he actually has the Egyptians now serving the Israelites and giving them their goods. Where Moses was this kind of stammering, not great speech, not super well seen in Pharaoh's court. It says in verse 4, or 3, I'm sorry, because of the power of God, it says Moses was a man of great importance now. He's not just a shepherd. He's not someone who was formerly in Pharaoh's house and what's going on. The people of Israel, God has completely flipped the script. God has come in, and this is one of those notes, one of those instruments, and shown himself to be quite just. <laughs> shown himself that he says, enough of slavery and bondage, let's go to freedom, and not only are you going to be set free, but I'm going to do it justly, and I'm even going to pay you back, like give you back from some of what the Egyptians have stolen from you all for years and years and years. I don't know about y'all, but that actually gets me excited <laughs> to realize that there are these things, these empires that God can absolutely crash down, can completely flip the script, and there can be total renewal, redemption, escape, all these things through God's power. Just, I, I just think that that needs to be an encouragement to us. Amen. All right. Let's go. Let's hope. Yeah, that's right. Let's hope. Let's faith. Let's believe. I, you can go to the next slide because that irritates me staring at too. Sorry. Like I, I put it in there and I was like, mm. but I mean, we could say right side up, however you want to say it, but God can and will do these things. Then in verse four, it says, Moses says, 
there we go. Thus says the Lord about midnight. So this is the final plague. This is the thing that's going to be that blow that Pharaoh goes, get out of here. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, this is very particular, to, who sits on his throne, so the highest of power, to the firstborn of the female slave, whoever is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the life, if there's any livestock left, <laughs> there's going to be, from the firstborn of that, will be killed, right? Verse 6 says, Then there will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such has never been or ever will be again. We, when, you, when we hear these things, we continue to hear this instrument of justice being played. That God is going to come, and because God said this to uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh, you've messed with my firstborn, I'm going to take yours out. Now, to some of us, they might be like, oh, I don't know, God. <laughs> What's going on? That's why some people are like, I don't know about that God in the Old Testament. Like, man, he went after him. But let me say this. I think as Americans here that live in a very safe, for the most part, play, you know, place in the world, we don't have very much hardships or persecutions or challenge compared to other places in the world. I think it is difficult for us to fathom real, real evil. Like, we can see it in the sex industry, we can see it in places, but until we're, we've been in there and looked at it in its face, we don't understand how truly evil it is. See, uh, I heard, I found out some not great news this week. Uh, do you guys remember the story? Who, was anyone here when Justin told the story of the polio child when he was in Myanmar? So, if you haven't heard it, I'll be very, very quick. Justin and Sean and some people were in Myanmar, and they're sharing the good news of the kingdom and praying for people and sharing who Jesus is and all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of it, they're seeing God do some really incredible things. And Justin would probably tell you that this was at the peak of his, I just believe God, like faith, like in his life, you know, like I, he did. I remember that. He was just like, God's going to heal. God's going to set free. God, he's going to reveal himself. He was just really, really believing these things. And there was a child in one of the villages that was like really like mangled, like just like all twisted up, and and this, this guy was two years old. And Justin said, "I went went to the village. I just held him in my arms, and I just knew God was going to heal him. And I just cried and wept and confessed the word and prayed for him for two or three hours, and nothing happened. And he was pretty disappointed. I remember that we talked on the phone. He was like, "Man, I just don't know. I just believe that God was going to do this." Um, the interesting thing was going along with them on these trips was this guy that had been doing some really cool stuff in disciple making, but was really like, I don't know about this miracle stuff, right? I mean, many of us be like, I'm just not sure. This is kind of, mm, I don't know, like may, I could, God could do it. Yes, of course, he's God, but it probably doesn't happen a whole lot. Well, the next day, Justin and Sean and them get a call and they go, this kid is walking around for the first time in his life. Like, he has never walked. And the whole village is going, who is this God? <laughs> this kid we've seen for two years not be able to do anything is actually now walking around. Which made the other guy go, he said, I didn't believe in that miracle stuff except for that dang polio kid, man. That guy, just, it, it just ruined me. It wrecked me when he, saw, when he heard of the, what, what happened. 
Well, I just found out on Monday that uh, Jared Wilson had told me that that kid, 11 years old, just got killed by the Myanmar army. And that hits deep because I just know that story. And man, I'm just like, God, why? What's up, man? That's not cool. And then uh, hearing these stories that are, Myanmar is a messed up place right now. I don't know if you guys know that. It's awful. Like, I can tell you just crazy, horrible stories that have we've been able to hear about the last several months. Like, I mean, one of them was there was a group of people going to celebrate Christmas, and they don't want anything to do with Christianity or with Western holidays or anything that looks Christian or anything like that. The government sees them with gifts in their hands, puts them in the back of a truck, throws gasoline on them, and sets them on fire, and they all burn to death. We don't have a paradigm, I don't think most of us, for that level of evil, Right? There's people that are, so many of the people in the house churches there are hiding in the jungles. And like even um, husband and wife are separated and they're trying to figure out how, and they're just scavenging for whatever they could possibly eat because they know they'll get killed. But when we hear about that level of evil, we recognize and that's when we cry out, God, you've got to do something. There's, this is not Right. And we recognize that these people of Egypt have been oppressing. I mean, they were evil, man. Whenever Moses says, can we go away and worship for a week? Pharaoh says, no more straw. Like, come on, bro. Like, this was not, a, this was not like a happy-go-lucky thing. When we recognize that, that is when we cry out for God to say, God, you must do something. And we know, we know when we look at the person of Jesus and the character of God, he is not swift to go, take him down. He is kind. He is slow to anger. How many times does the scripture say he's slow to anger? But there's a point in where God says enough. It's enough. The justice has to be had. And that's what's taking place right here. Justice is, is, is God is saying, it's too much. Too long. You've taken the lives of our people. You've done this for so long. Now you're going to see what it feels like. And though it is painful to think about even, it's a uh, God God did what he did and it needed to be done. We yeah. Choose my words carefully. <clears throat> Verse 7 says now as they're crying out and they're weeping and I, I mean I'm sure it had to have been I don't know how to express how painful that must have been for them. But it says, but not a dog will growl at any of the Israelites, not at people, not at animals, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then he goes on to say, this is, this is what will happen. The officials and all these are going to come. They're going to say, leave. They're going to leave. And he left, it says, in, in hot anger. Um, though the Lord says, it's not over yet. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. He's going, we're going to have to go through with this, basically. You can warn Pharaoh, but his heart's not going to say yes. That's what's going to take place. But uh, last slide. I told you I was a little bit, had it trimmed back a little bit. This is uh, potentially where like the land of Goshen is, was where the Israelites were. Beautiful, actually, place. But what I like through this, not only do we see God's justice being had, but we see God saying, look, I'm going to also, as I have been through the plague, show that my people are distinct, that I'm going to, in these scenarios, I'm protecting them. I'm showing you that I, as God, 
are far above <laughs> decisively all the gods of Egypt. And as I look at this, I cry out for us to be a distinct people. For us to God has, God, Jesus says, be a light on a hill, right? Like there's this whole idea throughout scripture that Israel was called to, to be a light to the nations, that God calls a people out to be different. It doesn't mean we have to be purposely weird, right? Like we've done that for far too long. <laughs> but, but that God, through his power, as we've seen, makes his people distinct. If we will submit and surrender and say, yes, God, you do your thing. I'll let you do that in our lives. And I, I was just, just encouraged by some of the things that God is doing through his power in us. And I thought I would share one or two and let Greg share one and we'll be done. Um, I don't know if she's not here. Yeah. So um, Carolyn brought a lady who, uh, at the end of service last week, brought a lady in and said that she was being um, abused domestically. And you could see it. And it was horrifying. There she is. There's Carolyn. And I just, I was talking about you. You must have been here. I was telling about, but through God's use of Carolyn and Pat, like this Friday, it was Friday morning, wasn't it? Pat drove her to Dixon and she's now in a home and in a very safe place. And I know that that might, maybe for Pat, that was super easy. I don't know. Probably, probably not. It's not super easy to carve hours out of your day. Are you going to talk about it? Boom. I like it. <laughs> I will gladly move over for this. <laughs> so Friday was a really good day. Um, I saw uh, Thursday night John posted that about, the, about Kristen needing a ride to Dixon. And um, she showed up here with Carolyn last Sunday. Carolyn's like a magnet, man. She just, you know, somebody's around Carolyn that needs something, they're going to be drawn to Carolyn. And uh, she brought her, and, and it, was, um, it was pretty hard to, to look at that. And so several of us gathered around her and prayed. And then I just, you know, went home and, you know, did my thing all week long. And then I saw that from John, and I, I just... I thought, well, I can't do it on Thursday, but I can do it on Friday because I don't have anything down to do. So I met, I met uh, with Carolyn and Kristen and picked her up, and um, we pretty much talked the whole time to Dixon, and she is um, the same age as my youngest daughter. I think she's maybe a year younger than my youngest daughter, and she... I just let her, I let her talk and I let her tell me her story and she's had some challenges and had difficulties with relationships with partners and, and with her own, within her own family. She has two daughters that are 19 and 17, I believe, and are, um, work at Jim and Nick's. If any of you ever go to Jim and Nick's barbecue, that's where they work and they're doing really well. They're working hard. And she feels very good about her daughters. They are living with her mother, and her mother has kind of been the stable point in their life. Um, but you know, I I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm going to go and I'm going to try to be 
supportive of her and I'm gonna try to help her and um, the thing about it is is that it ended up she helped me um, because at the at kind of the end of our conversation she said she said all I really want is to have a safe home that my girls can come to and feel good about being there. I want to be able to support myself. She said, that's all I want. And it kind of struck me that all she wants, I already have. Most of us sitting in here have that. And it just, it just was a reminder that I needed because sometimes we take those things for granted and we get seduced away by social media and all the glitter of what she wasn't talking about. She wanted this kind of car or this kind of house or live in this place or do these things. All she wants is to live a peaceful life with her family. We talked a bit this morning in class about the rich young ruler and how we are so wealthy in ways we don't even understand. But when we see it through somebody else's eyes who just would give anything to be in the place we're in, it made me feel so humble and so grateful and so thankful that I have a loving, caring person that I adore, who, who I hope adores me as well, that I have a safe place, a warm place, that I have a place my kids can come and my grandkids can come. And sometimes I get so clouded by what I don't have that I forget what I do have. And that is how I went into Friday thinking, I'm going to be a blessing to Kristen. I'm going to do something for her. I'm going to help her. And God used Kristen to help me. So it was a good Friday. Right. As uh, Pat's telling that story, I'm recognizing that when we submit ourselves to what God wants to do, that we enter into part of the story where God says enough in this woman's life. Enough. That God's, we're going to, we're, she's going to be, have this opportunity for the safety. And then we get to participate in that. And then we get like, yeah. Yo, Carolyn. What do you want? You want a microphone? Or are you just going to talk loud? Okay. <laughs> 